Now, we can joke about uh, things like Christmas trees, but also life can throw up disappointments in terms of things that we're hoping for, or maybe life doesn't quite go the way we'd hoped. We can, we've probably all thought things like, well, if I get that job, or, or when I get married, or if we have a baby, then, then things will be great. Or I just need that pay rise, or I need to be given that responsibility at work or, or at church. So often, we put our hope in things that can't necessarily deliver in the way that we're wanting or hoping for. And then we can struggle with a sense of disappointment, whether it's money or career or relationships. And it's horrible, that feeling when you feel like you're losing hope, like, oh, it's not going to happen or, or it's, it's gone wrong again. It hasn't turned out the way that I hoped. So where do we look when we're trying to find something that we can genuinely rely on, a hope that won't let us down? And what do we do when we feel like we've found that hope? Well, today as we approach Christmas, we've already talked lots about Christmas, I want to look at a group of people who are looking for hope, searching for something to believe in. They'd been waiting and watching for something that had been promised many years before, and we're going to read about them in Matthew's Gospel, reading from chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, or a better translation is, we saw his star rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now we know from later on, cunning old Herod was not interested in worshipping this king. He wanted this supposed king dead. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they'd seen rising went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's just pray together. 
Father, we thank you for this account of people looking for a promised king. I pray as we look at it together that you'd speak to our hearts, challenge us about where we're searching and where we put our hope. We thank you that many of us have discovered and found a hope in you. So we ask, please speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who were the Magi? I'll tell you what I think right up front, and then we'll just unpack it a little bit. I suspect that the Magi were the same group that Daniel, of Lion's Den fame, not to be confused with Dragon's Den, that's something more modern and different, but if you know the story in the Bible of Daniel in the Lion's Den, uh, the same group that Daniel was part of. Do you remember a few weeks ago we were looking at uh, being a church for the city and we looked at Jeremiah's letter that he wrote to the exiles in Babylon, to God's people. And one of those young men that were exiled uh, from Jerusalem was Daniel. And, that, and we have the book of Daniel among the prophetic books in the Old Testament. A common practice of the day by conquering kingdoms was to take young leaders, maybe part of the royal family, um, and train them up and put them into the service of the conquering ruler. The reason being they were probably well-educated and you could keep an eye on them and put them to good use in your homeland. And Daniel's story is a bit like Joseph. Joseph was enslaved in Egypt but rose to power. Well, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a troubling dream, and he can't seem to quite remember what it is. I don't know whether you ever have dreams like that. I know it was something about... Anyway, um, and he challenges his group of wise men, firstly, to tell him what the dream was, and then explain what it meant. And they're like, come on! You know, how, how can anyone do that? You know, at least tell us what the dream was and then we'll have a go at explaining it. Nebuchadnezzar, in a long tradition of despotic and megalomaniac rulers, decides that all of his wise men in Babylon, magicians and enchanters and astrologers, should literally be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubble. It's in the Bible. If you were in the Babylonian civil service, you wouldn't want your annual review with Nebuchadnezzar, would you? We're like, oh, you didn't quite meet that performance target. Uh, we're going to tear you limb from limb. Anyway, Daniel prays to God, and he's shown by God what the dream is. It's remarkable. Like Joseph, Daniel has the God-given ability to interpret dreams. He tells the king the dream and then explains what it means. Everyone is amazed. And Nebuchadnezzar puts Daniel in charge of the whole province of Babylon and he makes him the chief of this group of wise men. And I think this is quite probably the group that we read about in Matthew's gospel and where they originate from about 500 years after Daniel. A group 
of mystics from the East who observed the stars, studied sacred writings and wisdom, and interpreted dreams to predict the future. They were a cross between political advisors, spiritual guides, and astrologers. Think Merlin, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mary Poppins, and Dumbledore. Maybe not. Um, But they are far from the kind of Christmas card image of three kings of the Orient. And we don't even know that they were three. That kind of traditional number three probably comes from the fact that there were three gifts. But the number doesn't matter anyway. It was, what were they looking for? What were they searching for? And why? So, back to Matthew's Gospel. These so-called wise men come to Herod saying, we're looking for the one who has been born King of the Jews. They'd observed a sign in the heavens, a new star rising, representing the birth of a king. And they've come looking for that king. And therefore, logically, they go to Jerusalem, the capital city, where you'd expect to find a king. But it's a wrong assumption. We can do that, can't we? We can make assumptions about where we're going to find the things that are going to satisfy us in life. We can look for hope in the wrong places. Now, all they find is Herod. Herod wasn't born a king. He'd been put in charge by the Roman occupiers. Ironically, he'd been crowned king of the Jews, but he's a fake Messiah, not delivering the Israelites from the Romans, but delivering them into their hands. His authority was man-made, not God-given. And therefore, Herod is pretty insecure and worried. He calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law who were uh, familiar with the Old Testament prophecies about a Messiah. And in verse 6, they quote from the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Jesus' birth was not only heralded by a new star in the sky, but it was the fulfillment of prophecy. We don't know whether this group of wise men had faith in the God of Israel and the promised Messiah, or whether they were even aware of those Old Testament promises. But possibly they were because of Daniel's influence hundreds of years earlier. But whatever it was, they clearly placed great significance in the signs that they'd observed. And so the Jewish religious leaders pointed towards the fact that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Many of the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, you can find them in the Psalms and Isaiah. They're spread right across the Old Testament. They were predictions that this Messiah's kingdom rule would bring God's justice and peace to the whole world. Like a great 
moral and spiritual leader being born. And perhaps they thought, we've got to find this king that's going to so radically change the world. Herod is so concerned that he actually talks to them in private. We see that in verse 8. And he sends them off to find this baby. And then he could ensure that this newborn king is quietly disposed of. And he can preserve his own position as king of the Jews. He tells them, go and make a careful search. Bethlehem was so nearby. Herod could have gone and looked for himself. But he left it to other people to do his dirty work for him. It's interesting that those, the wise men, Gentile astrologers and magicians, journeyed for weeks, maybe months, over hundreds of miles in search of a foreign king that had just been born. I mean, he hadn't even done anything yet. You know, it wasn't like, oh, he's, he's conquered this nation, he's done this, that, and the other. And yet, the Jewish leaders who were awaiting their Messiah, they'd been waiting for hundreds of years, they didn't bother to travel six miles down the road to Bethlehem to check for themselves. Perhaps they'd grown tired or cynical that the Messiah would ever come. Perhaps they just got used to the status quo. I think cynicism is a real danger for us, isn't it? We're cautious about anything that seems too good to be true. We're kind of taught that to be very rational and objective. We're cautious about, you know, don't, you know, all easy there, don't get your hopes up too much. And especially if we've been let down before. But actually, they have a wonderful hope they're pursuing to find this king. And so they continue the search, and they were supernaturally led. God spoke to the Magi in a way that they could understand as astrologers through a star. I don't know what that light was that seemed to move and lead them to the exact place where Jesus was. But the truth is, God can use any means to lead us to the truth. God used Herod's kind of dark motives to help the Magi on their way. And then God later warned them in a dream to not go back to Herod. You hear story after story of uh, people uh, in the Middle East, Muslims, who have a dream and they encounter Jesus in a dream. God uses all kinds of means to lead people towards the truth. Verse 10 says, the wise men were overjoyed when they saw the star. They had found who they were searching for. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And it was a perfectly natural response. When you find what you're looking for, it is a joyful thing, and it is natural to express that joy and speak it out. I wonder whether they understood that this little baby that they'd found 
that actually they were coming face to face with God himself. They hadn't just found an earthy king, but they'd found the promised Messiah, the light of the world. Perhaps they were superstitious and they just thought, oh, we've seen this sign in the heavens. We should go and pay homage to this foreign king. Or maybe somehow they had genuine faith in who Jesus really was. But their response to fall down and worship him is totally appropriate. And it sets the pattern for people all around the world now to worship Jesus, people from every nation. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, then he is worthy of our complete devotion, adoration, and worship. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. The Magi worshipped and gave gifts to him. The gifts give a foretaste of who Jesus was and what he would do. Gold for a king, incense representing worship for him as God, and myrrh that was a a precious, fragrant resin or oil that speaks of Jesus' death and resurrection. Whether they realized it or not, they had found a hope that would never disappoint. So here's the lesson for us, the thing that I want to underline for us. Wise men and women search for hope that won't disappoint. And when they find it, they build their lives around it. Jesus is the hope of the world. We've celebrated that in our worship. And we celebrate at Christmas that God himself came into the world, not to judge people, but to rescue them. He's the answer to the suffering in the world and the evil that lurks in every human heart. Jesus is our only hope, not Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you're a film buff, Jesus. If we build our lives around anything else, it will let us down. It doesn't matter how good a relationship or how successful a career or how much your achievements mount up or your bank account mounts up. It will never provide the kind of soul satisfaction that we find in Jesus. I've found that to be true in my own life. I've put my hope in, oh, maybe I'll do this with my life and that will fulfill me. Or in a relationship, oh, you know, if I'm in that relationship, then everything will be great. And I've been disappointed, but I've never been disappointed by Jesus. You might be here and thinking, how can you say that? How can that possibly be true? Well, even though he didn't intend it, there's wisdom in the words that Herod said. He said, go and make a careful search. We can search within ourselves and find nothing. 
We need to search beyond ourselves. In the new year, we're running Alpha again. It runs over about eight weeks, and it explains the basics of the Christian faith. If you're here and you're not sure what you believe, why don't you take a look for yourself? Search and decide what you think. Alternatively, you can read the Bible. Many people find a hope worth building their lives around just by reading the Bible. And if you've never done that before, I recommend that you don't start at the beginning, but start with the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But start your own search. It says in one of the gospels, seek and you will find. God wants you to find him. So it won't take you long to discover what you believe. And if you're a Christian here, do you carefully search the scriptures? If you say, yeah, I've already found hope in Jesus, that's great. But actually, the Christian life is an ongoing adventure of discovery and revelation. So do you actually read your Bible? I know, shocking to say that in church, but do you read it? A Christian who doesn't regularly read God's Word, study it, delve into it, is like someone who owns a mine. Uh, for you Poldark fans, Poldark owns a mine, yeah, and it's unproductive for a long time, but then they find something. Is that right, Jess? Um, <laughs> If you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible, it's like you own a mine, but you never bother to lift the hammer to unlock the riches and resources and treasures that are held within it. You can enjoy other people's discoveries by listening to great preachers or reading books, and that's great. But there's nothing like finding treasure yourself. As you move deeper and deeper into God's Word, it's all the more rewarding when you find some revelation about who God is, about how He feels about you, about what He's done for you. And there's an ownership that comes from discovering truth for yourself that goes way beyond just appreciating what someone else is teaching you. You can be reading something just one verse that you've read hundreds of times before, and it suddenly comes alive to you. Let me give you one example. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. I don't imagine anyone could quote that verse from memory, but it says this. We, it's when uh, the people in Jerusalem are under attack, and, and they're, they're, there's overwhelming forces that are coming to get them. And it's like, oh my goodness, we are toast. Okay, And it says this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it's like recently that verse leapt out of me, and, it, and it's just lived with me because it is, it's remarkable. In any situation, your boss gives you an unreasonable request. You can just say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. You know, and that's, that's, it's a way of earthing, God, I'm putting my hope and my trust in you. So... Search for yourself. Carry your Bible with you. Bring it to church. Commit to reading it every day. 
If you're not sure where to start, then ask someone for help. There are loads of reading plans available. Probably the best one I know and what I've been doing this year is Nicky Gumbel's Bible in One Year. It's a great reading plan. If you're not much of a reader, you can even listen to it. And finally, by way of application, be a guide for other people. There are people all around us who are searching. Some are wise men and women and they're looking for truth and some are just ordinary people, probably like you and I. But maybe we can help point them towards the hope that we found. Daniel writes uh, in chapter 12 of Daniel, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing about having an attitude like Jesus. And then he says, if we do that, we will shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. We have the words of life. We have the truth. Jesus is the light of the whole world. And we reflect his light, like a a lighthouse pointing the way to safe harbor, or like the landing lights on a runway guiding a plane safely into land. We can shine and we can be a light of hope for other people. So don't lose hope, don't get cynical. Maybe. This is the year when your neighbor will come to a carol service or your friend will sign up to do Alpha or maybe this time God will break in on the life of the person that you've been praying for for years. Let's tell people this Christmas that hope has come. Hope for you, for me, for this city and for the world, and hope has a name, and hope's name is Jesus. That's where we put our hope, in a person who will never disappoint. Paul writes this in Romans 5, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This hope does not disappoint. People can disappoint us, Church can disappoint us. Life will disappoint us at times. But Jesus never will. Wise men and women search for hope that won't disappoint. And when they find it, they build their lives around it. And lives built around Jesus will shine like stars in the darkness. I want us to respond to this truth uh, like the wise men. I want us to worship. So if the band could come back, let's celebrate the hope that we have and let's express our joy at finding this hope. Let's stand together.